Listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome in, Cardinals fans. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast for your complete Cardinals coverage. My name is Blake at Blake Murphy Seven, and we're here to uh, discuss. Unfortunately, for the Arizona Cardinals, we predicted a win last week. They in turn decided to go out and say, uh, sucks for you guys, we're going to uh, have Kyle Allen throw for four touchdown passes on us. Um, here to talk about it, discuss, um, go over some of this, we've got the Venerable, John Venerable is joining me. Johnny, how are you doing overall? Yeah, I'm doing okay. I was hoping that we'd be celebrating a victory Monday along with the Cardinals. Um, but yeah, what a what a gut punch that was, Blake, especially in front of your home crowd against a backup quarterback, not the kind of uh, effort on the, really either side of the ball that you'd like to see, and the Cardinals remain winless for three weeks. Yeah, so let's go into the game because if you look at the overall score, this was for the most part still a close game even through the third quarter. Uh, the Cardinals at the half were down only by four points. There was a, a lot of third and short. It was very interesting. Many people commented a lot on how um, Kyler Murray essentially completed 30 passes for under 200 yards, actually almost set a record for number of completions. Um, looking back on the tape, I didn't see as many problems as I thought with it because, in essence, they did a lot of calls that got them into third and short situations. Um, you got to see Kyler use his legs a lot. Um, you had a couple of missed opportunities, the big play to Christian Kirk, Terrell Suggs not uh, not really coming up with any sacks whatsoever, Chandler Jones not being able to force and turn over that second fumble. And it turns into a 38-40 loss where the Cardinals were pretty much allowed the Panthers and a undrafted backup quarterback to be able to run rampant all over them. John, what were your takeaways that you saw from the Cardinals game because this did not go down as pretty much anyone expected unless you were one of the people who predicted that every facet that the Cardinals showed of a weakness would essentially show up in this one game. Yeah, I thought that the Cardinals would be able to at least force a couple turnovers with with Kyle Allen and the style of play that Carolina likes to likes to play. And they had actually been defensively doing a, a nice job against the run at, uh, the first two weeks of the season. Um, so I, I was hoping that the Cardinals were going to make Carolina one-dimensional. Um, I wasn't too familiar with Kyle Allen. I didn't know how mobile he was. I thought that he was more kind of a, a traditional pocket passer. And, and boy, he, he made some great plays outside of the pocket, on the move, um, incredibly mobile for, for a guy of his size. And I think it just either caught the Cardinals by surprise, but for whatever reason, I thought the Cardinals would grind out a win. I didn't pick them to, to blow out this team by any stretch of the imagination because I don't think they have the personnel to do that yet, clearly. But I thought they'd win comfortably at some point in the fourth quarter, pull away by maybe two scores, uh, maybe by 10 to 14. But I, I just think that it was um, too much of a snowball effect uh, defensively for the offense to keep pace. The Cardinals are improved offensively. Um, it's in the advanced metrics. They, they've gone from one of the worst offenses in, in league history. Now they're just below middle of the pack. So they are improving, and I thought their red zone efficiency was a little bit better this week than, than against Baltimore. But to ask them to go score for score with Carolina when the Panthers seemingly couldn't be stopped unless uh, Chandler Jones was forcing a, a first-quarter turnover, I actually don't even remember how many times the Panthers punted, but it wasn't very many. It was something like two or three times. Um, and so when, when you're asked to go score for score in the NFL um, and you don't have great personnel on either line of scrimmage, it's going to be difficult for you to stay in the game and be competitive. Um, I thought the backbreaker for this team, there was a sequence in which the Cardinals were down, but they were driving again, and Kyler Murray was still in somewhat of a groove, and he targeted Trent Sherfield down the left sideline. Pass was a little high, but it hit Sherfield in the hands, and it looked like it, it was going to be a walk-in touchdown, and it would have put the Cardinals back on top. That's after Carolina uh, out of the gate matched the Cardinals' touchdown right after the half. 
Um, so that was really unfortunate. Um, and then it kind of just spiral, spiraled out of there. And what ends up happening is one of two things, Blake. Um, the Cardinals are one-dimensional offensively right now. They don't run the football particularly well. Kyler, yes, ran the football, and that'll make the numbers better than they actually are. But David only carried the ball. David Johnson only carried the ball 11 times for 37 yards. That's a sub four yards per carry average. The offensive line was not holding up, and, and we'll get to them. Um, and then, and also, when when you're that poor up front, Carolina was just able to pin their ears back and, and win their one-on-one matchups up front. And they really got to Murray, especially late in the second half. I, I mean, the, the Cardinals really lack quality field position. They they lost their their rhythm that they had really early on in the in the passing game. But yeah, I mean, the, the story of this game at the end of the day is the, the lack of any kind of effort production defensively. Um, the Cardinals look this. I mean, this was the kind of effort um, and the kind of play that we saw throughout the duration of the preseason. And I think a lot of us expected it early on this season. Now, they didn't look great in the first half against Detroit, but they made adjustments. They played better in the second half. Same with Baltimore it held that Ravens team to 23 points. So you figured you know, the Carolina's coming in 0-2. They've got a backup quarterback. It's a winnable game for the Cardinals. They were even favored, you know, in Vegas by, by two points after the Cam Newton injury. And they just look completely disjointed, disinterested, whatever you want to say it. Outside of Chandler Jones, who did have the two sacks and the four, um, forced fumble, the rest of the defense looked slow. They looked out of place. They didn't tackle particularly well. Mm-hmm. The, all of the issues that we had foreseen in the secondary without their top two corners came to fruition. The, the continuation of the dominating tight end opposing, you know, the Cardinal defense was was back with um, Greg Olson scoring twice. And then I think the icing on the cake, really what we haven't seen is we haven't seen a running back go off yet on the Cardinals for the most part. And Christian mm-hmm. McCaffrey, uh, you know, Toe to the rock, for, I think for 24, 25 times for over 150 yards, of course, aided by that 76-yard touchdown run. Um, but it was just a combination of everything. The Cardinals couldn't stop them at all. They could have, the Carolina could have put it on even further, and they got kind of conventional in the late um, fourth quarter. Otherwise, they would have easily hit 40 points. But yeah. I think to me, Blake, the, the biggest concerns that I have are – I don't know if they're correctable, Um, and I think it's just at the end of the day, I have faith in this coaching staff. I mean, Vance Joseph is probably middle-of-the-pack defensive coordinator, but if you get him, people are going to dog on him this week, but have you seen what the Denver Broncos are doing with Bradley Chubb and Von Miller? They don't have a sack through three games, which is crazy. So it's not like they're they're (laughs) doing much better. Um, I think it's a personnel issue on both sides of the ball. They lack explosive players in their front seven, specifically on their defensive line. Um, Most everybody in this league, even the bad teams, have impact players up front, whether you run a 3-4 or 4-3. The Cardinals don't have a disruptor up front at defensive tackle. And then on the flip side, offensively, they have no quality offensive linemen. They've got journeymen. They've got some young guys. They're putting a lot of stock in, you know, like a DJ Humphreys. But they don't have people movers on either side of the ball, and that's going to hurt. The back seven, I think I excuse it more than most because of the fact that Peterson's suspension, Alford breaks his leg. You're trying to implement some young safeties. You know, Jalen Thompson got turned around on that McCaffrey run. You know, play the young guys. I'm I'm okay with mistakes like that. But up front on the defensive line, just the, the talent's not there. It's not there yet. Um, same can be said for the offensive line. And you're unfortunately, you're going to get games like this where unless Kyler Murray is able to really play hero ball, which mm. he was for the most part in those those first two games, especially in the second half, the Cardinals are going to be, be forced with a lot of these kind of scenarios in which they're going to have to match score for score. And unfortunately for the defense, they don't have a Kyler Murray that can mask a lot of mm. their holes. They've got a lot of players that are aging. Terrell Suggs is 36. He's provided minimal impact outside of that first game. Mm-hmm. You know, Jordan Hicks and Hassan Reddick have, have really yet to find their groove. Reddick looked a little bit better this week. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I see people, and I'll end this this opening rant with this. I see people dogging on DJ Swearinger because of the fact that he got completely just undressed, so to speak, uh, against Greg Olson. DJ Swearinger, this what is this like his fifth team? He was picked up off waivers late last season. It's not like DJ Swearinger is you know was a marquee free agent signing. But if you if you look at the promotions of the team and everything on social media, you'd be led to believe well he's one of their best players. No, he was a he was a nice complimentary player on mm-hmm. the really good Bruce Arians teams 2015, I think 2016. He's not a focal point on your defense that you want to build around, and he got exposed 
when the when the rest of the team is not you know if you don't have a Calais Campbell and you don't have a Carlos Dansby in, in in their prime and you don't have Patrick Peterson out there and some other really nice you know secondary pieces Tyron Matthew you know DJ Swearinger is a liability especially in coverage and so it's it, to me it's just you saw the gap even though we feel like we have a better quarterback in Arizona uh, you saw the gap in personnel Blake and that was on display for four quarters yeah, I think with Swearinger, he's a good player in terms of when you look at him as a, a hard-hitting safety who's able to be more of that box guy who can be able to jar hits loose with the running backs. He was asked to be put into one-on-one coverage against Greg Olson, and he was almost always a step behind. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury today even mentioned he wouldn't rule out using someone like Buda Baker instead, which when I was at the Lions game seemed like the best approach that they were able to kind of manage with TJ Hawkinson. It was when they got covered coverages mixed up with linebackers that was the case so in any case it's very disappointing more because you came into this game knowing that you were been letting up almost historic numbers through two games now and through three um, of the tight end position and we also know just from past references that that was a problem and an issue for Vance Joseph back in Denver with his personnel back there as well. So when you're looking at everything, I agree with you that the biggest thing with the Cardinals right now is the expectations. If you came in looking at week one as a team that tied, week two as a team that fought a tough Ravens team on the road, it's only a touchdown left in the fourth quarter, and then came into this game against a backup quarterback, if your expectations were for the team to be able to go out, kind of not have their way with the Panthers, mind you. The Panthers do have a load of talent on their team, but to look at a backup quarterback and say, hey, this is a game that you should win. Now, this is kind of beg the question that I know we mentioned last week. We even kind of were like, oh, what happens if they come in and they do lose this game, John? Well, we said the reason why they're probably going to lose the game was the same reasons why they've been losing the other game, struggling to cover the tight end, offensive line not protecting, and it comes down to, in the end, you weren't able to really pressure their quarterback as much or make enough of those plays as they were able to with yours. So I think what what I'm curious now to see, John, is, is that We need to balance and temper two things. One is we should temper the expectations for this team. But the second is we shouldn't overlook at least. It's not like that we're looking at that same Steve Wilkes-led team as far as in cases at least of quarterback and at least in case of that. Which is great. And that was one of the things I did want to bring up is if this is a team that goes out and is getting worse and worse every single week, then you're going to start to have things that are worrying and concerning. Uh, There's been overreaction we've seen. Obviously, the Firekime tweets are back in full effect. There's even people I know on this morning, some of the morning radio shows, people were even asking about what would be the tenure like. Uh, Kent Summers, even today, he's like uh, was asked, so the fact that it's week three and you're talking about the general manager, for one thing, it just shows that it wasn't a popular move to keep him, so that's naturally whenever there's struggles, you'll be open to criticism if you're the Cardinals. But that Ken Summers even is like, oh, I don't know, we'll see, maybe it's 50-50, we'll see at the end of the year. That was shocking to me that we're already at this point where it feels like people are jumping right into the same old Cardinals. So I, I did want to at least bring out before people are ready to jump off and before we even kind of look and psycho, I guess uh, hyperanalyze some of the team, I wanted to bring up the fact that when I went back and studied last year to see what was the case through uh, up to this point with the Cardinals for last year, at this point last year, the Cardinals essentially had averaged about, I want to say about 10 points a game or so through three weeks. They'd averaged 10 points a game for the season they were looking at 14 points a game on offense, and they were giving up, on average, about 26 to 29 points. So you're talking about the Cardinals, in essence, on average, were seeing these double-digit blowouts that they were getting for the most part. And if they were fighting teams close, then you'd have a 30-9 to loss or a 40 points that were hung on them. This year so far, they've already had just with basically only adding Kyler and Cliff. They're averaging it at about 21. So you're already seeing just that switch has added seven points for the most part onto the team, which is great. If you add those seven points onto the Cardinals teams last year, you're talking about like a seven and nine, almost an eight and eight team. The issue that we've run into with this Cardinals team for the most part, John, is that on defense, they're still giving up about 30 points or so a game. And that is kind of an area for concern is if you're looking at the Cardinals team as far as with yards, as far as what they've given up, they've gotten a bit better against the run. They're worse against the pass. This will be the question I'll pass on to you then. Do you think that the reason for all of this for the Cardinals is because solely with Patrick Peterson and those top two corners are being out? 
Or do you think this is a deeper personnel issue where we really need to start putting Vance Joseph on the spotlight and kind of wonder if he's on the hot seat or not? I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts here. No, I don't. You, that's commonplace on Twitter. That's not my take at all. The, the answer to everything is not always fire the coach or the coordinator or whatever. Um, it's a personnel issue, in my opinion. I mean, give a guy a half a season, a season to, to, to try to implement his defense. This is the third defense in three years for a lot of these players. Remember, they were under um, Bruce Arians and James Betcher three years ago running a 3-4. Not the same scheme, but um, a, still a 3-4 base. And they went to a 4-3. And now they're back to a, um, a similar 3-4. But that's new for a lot of these players. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about just the erosion of talent. Um, and we, I mean, the list is is lengthy, right? This was once a top five unit, one of the best in the NFL. And then you have the erosion of talent. Tyron Matthew, say what you want about his contract situation. He's a good player. Tony Jefferson, probably somebody who they should have kept. Of course, Calais Campbell, you could argue... Is he making a case to be in the Hall of Fame one day? They got really good production out of a couple, you know, veteran linebackers throughout Bruce Arians' tenure. You know, Peterson was in his prime. They they found some nice secondary pieces, and then their their defensive line. They had a really good rotation along with Calais. Um, to they just they had impact players. They don't have those impact players now. Um, so I think it's probably 50-50 to answer your question. I think it's part of it is, you know, Robert Alford's a, he's a quality player in this league. He's not a superstar. He's not a Pro Bowl player, but they counted on him. They gave him a nice contract. Um, so I think that, that that was a huge blow. You can't lose both of those players. The, obviously, the team didn't know about the suspension of Peterson until really after free agency, before the draft. But, you know, in my opinion, I, th- I think they thought their pass rush would be better. I one of the biggest, I think, I put this on Twitter today. I think one of the most egregious uh, signings or lack of signings is that they let Marcus Golden leave on a cheap one-year deal to the Giants to reunite with James Betcher. He's got three sacks in three games, and they signed a 36-year-old Terrell Suggs. And I like Terrell Suggs as a player. I think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. But man, I mean, like, how do you sell that to? I think that that was more PR. That was more press. That got a lot of press. That was like their first free agent day signing, if you can remember when free agency was going on mm-hmm. and that was in the midst of all the, you know, the Rosen Murray chaos. So that, I don't know if it, <laughs> they, it was kind of just to ease everybody's concerns or to, it went a popularity contest, but I don't know. I, I think, you know, you, you, you include their arrest and the, and the, the, you know, parting ways with, with Darius Philon, who mm-hmm. they thought was going to be a really nice player for them. Um, it's, you know, and then we talked about it before, Blake. I mean, had they not taken Kyler Murray, they're going to go either Quinn and Williams or Nick Bosa, who would be helping this team right now. So you can't fill every need in the off season in one off season, but what you can do is you can take a look at the mirror and, and say, okay, we, we drafted Robert Kendici to replace mm-hmm. Calais Campbell. That could not have gone worse. We, we took Hassan Reddick 13th overall. You know, I've been particularly hard on him, but fingers crossed he had a nice game. Um, Sunday was their highest rated defender, uh, according to PFF. But we need to see we need to see more, frankly. Um, and so I, I think it's it's a combination. They don't have the they don't have the horses. They don't have the talent. And then Patrick Peterson is is that good. Um, he's not going to be the savior when he comes back, but I do yeah. think it will help considerably. And then, you know, I. My last point I want to make is, you know, when you look at somebody like San Francisco, um, and I made this point today online, you know, the, the Niners were a, a, an egregious defense for a long time, including mm-hmm. last year, but they kept at it. They kept at it. They kept adding significant pieces, specifically defensively. They traded for um, D Ford, pass rusher. They get mm-hmm. Nick Bosa, right? They, they, ha- they hit on a couple draft picks like Fred Warner, DeForest Buckner, both Really good player. Solomon Thomas, say what you want. I mean, he'd be a key piece on this defense. Eric Armstead, first-round picks in a contract here. He looks good. And then, you know, they get somebody like Quan Alexander in free agency. He looks good. Um, you know, Richard Sherman's playing well. So they have thrown so many resources at that unit. They're just now seeing that start to take fruition, and they're playing really, really quality ball. The Cardinals, in my opinion, I, I think we called this, Blake, before this mm-hmm. season, but the offense is going to be the first thing that's turned around in the desert. You're already seeing glimpses of that. And again, Kyler plays that, that key role, but I, I think we could look at this team next year and they're going to be winning shootouts. They could at the, the end of this year, who knows they, they need improved line play, but the offense is going to be turned around more quickly than the defense. The defense just lacks the appropriate talent 
to be considered a you know a quality unit and that's going to take time and this isn't the nba there are no shortcuts you got to hit mm-hmm. some players but the good news is blake is that i do think they're going to get better as the season goes on because i i like the young players and the playing time that they're getting that's why i'm just not very critical of the unit zach allen's playing every snap same with byron murphy Let's see what Hassan Reddick can do, you know, 13 more games. Mm-hmm. You know, let's see what Buda Baker can do when he's back in the box. Let's see what these two young, you know, I like DJ Swearinger. When are we going to see, you know, the two Thompson safeties in the fifth round play a considerable amount of time? When are we going to see, um, Mc, I think it's McDougal, the defensive tackle that's been inactive on game day. Maybe it's, maybe he needs to be active. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, I've seen enough of Clint McDonald and some of these veterans. Let's get the young guys in there, you know, if they struggle again this week against Seattle, I mean, what what more can you lose at this point? I I've I, I don't love to lose. I don't like to lose, but you know, if it's with young guys, I can at least stomach that a little easier. Yeah, and I think that's the expectations that you have set because coming into the game, a lot of fans I think were looking at, hey, if you can end up one one and one, a Seattle team lost on Sunday, their fans are seemingly preparing for civil war as far as for people who are upset with the approach that Pete Carroll has taken and people who are in favor of just how Seattle can still manage to end up um, winning those different games. I think in this case, as far as when you're talking about the season where people are disappointed is because you still do want to see progress in terms of you haven't gotten a win yet this season and things do end up obviously as we talked about things go downhill when you do end up having consistent losing and so that's where you want to make sure that it's growth and learning and not systematic so when you take a step back where you give up 38 points you give up four touchdown passes that's when I think people are going to end up just wanting to point a spotlight and say all right who's the one at fault here so for me then I think that when you're right while the personnel is definitely an issue that does point a heavy spotlight then on Vance Joseph as far as because the two questions I had was one was he decided to play throughout the entire game with DJ Swearinger and one-on-one coverage but moreover the game came down to the fact that the Panthers were able to essentially rush for and get to Kyler Murray while the Cardinals were not able to rush for and get to Josh, uh, to I uh, should excuse me Kyle Allen, they did blitz him at one point in the end zone. There was a, kind of a little bit of a pick route that took out the uh, the one who was blitzing off of his left side of the left side of the line. Uh, Allen just runs to his right, uses the mobility, is able to throw to an open Curtis Samuel who separates. He's much quicker than Byron Murphy is overall. It's also maybe just some of the rookie play that's in there. So for me, John, I'm in the perspective of Here's where I stand. I think I agree with you that the defense will show strides, but for me, it has to also show strides. Like, if we get to the end of the season, we're like, well, Cardinals set the record for a certain number of record points, touchdowns. If the touchdowns to the tight ends and stuff does not get fixed, then I think that you have an issue. If Patrick Peterson comes back and you still are seeing them giving up about 30 points a game, then I think that you're going to, it's because you're not just going to be going out there saying, all right, we're going to work on developing our young players, building for next year. At some point, point you still are looking at the NFL is a league where you do have to win now so I think that there while I agree with you that there is a balance you have to have for you and I the expectations might not be there I do think that the Cardinals have set a standard and we've seen that with Steve Wilkes where what you just need to show is continual progress and I feel like we did see that on the offensive side we went from a game where the Cardinals were two of 11 on third down they complete 9 of 14 on third down in this game. They have a couple of really great, well-orchestrated drives. A 14-play, a gorgeous 14-play, seven-minute drive down they the field. They were 9 of 11 on third down at one yeah, point. Yeah, they were really doing well. And then things just ended up falling apart at the end. Some of that is just because, like you said, they couldn't keep up. They were trying to have to eventually throw every down. So it turned into one of those spots where what you were hoping they'd do to Kyle Allen it turned into that for the Cardinals, but you've still been able to see types of progress. You're like, okay, Cliff Kingsbury, check. Like The biggest complaint people had about Cliff coming in was, gosh, look at Lamar Jackson. He ran all over the place. They used him like a cheat code yesterday. Well, in comes Kyler Murray. He rushes for about 69 yards, picks up some clutch short yardage as a running as a runner, and even picked up some big gains where he was able to pick up like 20. Uh, you can see some of his running charts. It was really cool to see him make a few big plays with his legs and not really get touched on as many of those. Now, 
some of those sacks that were there, we'll talk about the sacks here, were as a result of some of that where he's feeling up. But because you're seeing progress on the offense, you're at least able to say, okay, I'm good. We can build around this. My concern, John, is I just have not seen any progress, at least from this defense, and they took a step back. So that's where I say if the Cardinals oh. keep taking step back on defense, do you think that that will change your mind at all? Do you think that that's projecting too far? What do we need to see from the Cardinals advance Joseph to be able to say, yes, this is the guy? Because right now I'm living in a spot where I'm like, until he can pick up to stop the tight end, um, I'm just kind of a bit on the outs as far as with Vance Joseph right now, to be honest. Well, I'll give you credit, Blake. And if people are new to this podcast and didn't listen last season, I was very reserved on not criticism to Steve Wilkes, but I I thought there was no way that they would move off of Steve Wilkes um, at any point. And you were early to identify and just basically say outright, like, this is not common to be significantly outplayed and blown out every week. The team looks disinterested. If they don't pick this up that, you know, he deserves or he he's going to lose his job, he's going to be fired. And I'm like, nah, I don't think so. And that was probably around week three or four. And then like things got progressively worse. Mike McCoy was fired and it spiraled out of control. So I'm not saying that there's, there's not a, a chance for Vance Joseph to be fired, but I also think, you know, public perception is a real thing. They, the, the team fired an African-American head coach after one season, and hmm. this isn't a race thing. This is just a. This is real. These are f- factual. Um, are they going to do that again with their defensive coordinator? When it's clear, everybody around the league knows their 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 personnel defensively is, is not good. It's not um, good. Yeah. So I I think that that plays a factor. Plus, I just I think that if you give him a, enough tools defensively, but I'm I, I think that they'll improve. But I'm with. You, Blake, I, I mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if they look worse, like if, if the Cardinals are scoring, you know, at, at will toward the end of the season and they're, you know, we're, we're seeing a maturation process with Kyler Murray and maybe the offensive line improves, but the defense is just giving up 30 plus points a mm-hmm. week and the and opposing quarterbacks are lighting them up. Um, I definitely could see a possibility in, in which they want to make a change, but I, I think Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime, if, if Steve Kime's around, will show incredible patience with this team with the staff you can't i i just don't think you can fire vance joseph when the best player on defense if it not including chandler jones is suspended mm. at for f- the first six games of the season against um you know some quality opponents i i just think that that's that's rough man and i i think it's also you also have to be perceived from a national perspective steve kime put together the defensive coaching staff, not mm-hmm. Cliff Kingsbury. So it's right. more of a reflection of Steve Kime than it is Cliff Kingsbury to let go of Vance Joseph. If anything, I think he'll continue to be a supporter of Vance and potentially fall on the sword and say, listen, he's got limited to work with. We're going to reinforce some of these areas. We think we'll improve offensively just through Kyler's development. We're going to throw a lot of money uh, at the defense in free agency. Mm-hmm. I think I think that that is being undersold right now as a as a key point for Vance. And I think the defense played above expectations the first two weeks. I know a lot of people. Yeah, that bought time. And, yeah, and then all of a sudden it crashed down. So the goodwill kind of went away this week. Right. Hard was part of. But that. after what we saw in the preseason, I think people expected this earlier, and so I think that's mm-hmm. why it was so frustrating. It's like. Man, you couldn't have gotten blown out against the Ravens and played well defensively this week with an opportunity <laughs> to win it. But I, here's what I'll say. I think that they are lacking talent, but I think they will show improvement over the course of the season. Um, but here's the biggest problem for me, Blake, is, mm-hmm. is that if they can't force turnovers, they're not going to stop a lot of people. So I would get much more aggressive with my concepts, with my calls if I'm Vance Joseph. Because yep. you just kind of you kind of have to be a gambler in the sense that you got to send extra people. And I think he was a little. My only criticism, I thought he was a little too slow to blitz uh, Mr. Allen on Sunday. Yeah, no, and that's for me. It's not like I'm calling for Vance Joseph's job or have something against him. I do agree with you though that because it's not like this is a Cliff Kingsbury hire. That's one of the things that we saw with Bruce Arians. Or it was really difficult to move on from an Amos Jones because that was his boy. That was his guy he hired. Similar with the Todd Bowles. Um, if this is a guy that Cliff had brought in, then you're talking about a similar, I think, level of patience. The biggest thing here for me is I 
think that as long as you can check the box up, hey, they figured out how to get the tight ends covered, that checks the box. They go and have Patrick Peterson comes back, and you're all able to see the scheme change. They're able to get a few more turnovers. The defense just overall improves. That checks the box. Then I'm fine. For me, it's more of if this turns into a perpetual pattern where you're seeing the same thing and there's no changes, that's when I think that it'll start to settle in. So for me right now, through three weeks, you're seeing that trend, and that's a trend where I say, all right, let's see. This is where your coach job as a coach really begins begins clearly there's an issue whether there's personnel or talent or not if you can at least get to a part where you're like hey we're gonna sell out to make sure that we're just not gonna let a tight end beat us this week just show us that you can at least check that box Um, even if it's like hey you give up a couple of different things in the run game let's say that maybe you have 100 yards that are run on you but you have tight ends are not burning you for open wide touchdowns then i think that fans will be like okay we'll understand you're not you're limited personnel wise we know you can stop the tight end if you need to you just have to assess resources in the right capacity okay let's wait and see what happens when patrick peterson comes back so that's where i'm at but speaking of steve kime because of everything that's gone on this is kind of where i think we'll want to get into um some of this with our next uh podcast that we have as far as our next episode but right off the bat john why do you think there's so many of these fire kime things that are popping up all over the place because i like you know a quick twitter search that was really uh comparatively was i looked up there was maybe two fire cliffs that were there some of them were texas tech fans <laughs> so it's a little early for some of those there was more <laughs> fire vance ones and there was fire kime so what i do agree with is when fans are looking and are evaluating based on production that's when like you know people were saying hey i'm not seeing kyler produce during the preseason we should put in brett hundley when people are seeing the Cardinals defense was struggling, people were there. And so that's the spot. Now we've hit the season and people are seeing production from Cliff, production from Kyler. You're still seeing, obviously, Fitz produces every single year. The question then, at least, that you look at is, with Steve Keim and some of these questions of production, like, is it end up turning into a spot where you need to see uh, Hassan Raddick and DJ Humphreys be able to deliver or is this going to be a spot where we're looking at the team of hey you know what gm is just a different type of uh, a different type of animal there because there's literally literally like so many fans who are wanting this to happen it almost feels like that people were upset that he stayed with the team which you know maybe that just is how it is maybe it's just going to be that every time this team struggles he's going to be the main scapegoat or yeah. do you think that some of that is deserved what what are some of your thoughts on that as far as with Kime? I think people are – well, let's start with Cliff Kingsbury. I think people are impressed with what he's done with limited resources offensively. I think people believe in Kingsbury for the most part outside of the 1% on Twitter that I've seen. I think people uh, like his demeanor, like how he holds himself accountable at his press conferences. And then, uh, you know, for the folks, unfortunately, that were that had to witness that egregious product last year, specifically offensively, to see mm-hmm. what Cliff has done already to make the team semi-viable um, and competitive um, says a lot. I think the I think the average Cardinal fan knows that this roster is in a bad place. Um, they knew that before this season. Um, but I think that you know what happens is we romanticize the draft too much mm-hmm. um, because we we read up on these players and we've seen them at the college level and we think they're going to seamlessly transition, you know, into the NFL on our team and everything's going to be fine. I mean, mm-hmm. we did that with, I think we did that with Hakeem Butler, at least I did, Andy Isabella. And then, you know, the NFL is where the big boys play, of course, and some of these guys take a little while to, to develop. And so I think most fans only affiliate Kingsbury with this rookie class. And, you know, mm. he and Murray, their production is tied to the offense. Defensively, offensive line, I think, is where the, the probably – Primarily, the majority of the criticism lies. I, I don't even think fans hold Kime accountable for the Rosen situation because of, not directly Rosen, because I think most people applauded mm-hmm. that move. Um, at least I did. I think that people were frustrated with the lack of protection, the lack of weapons, specifically the protection, the, the, the poor coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had just hit a home run with Bruce Arians, so he was allowed, I guess, for a mulligan. But his draft classes, you know, of course, they have been... Um, below average, to say the least. He hasn't hit on a first-round pick yet. Let's hope Murray's the first one, if he is the first one. Um, and the jury's still out on on somebody like Hassan Rick, I guess. I think we know what DJ Humphreys is at this point. So hmm. he mm-hmm. just he has not been able to find impact via the draft, build within the draft, say what you want about Rod Graves. He found Larry Fitzgerald. He drafted Patrick Peterson, Calais Campbell, Darnell Dockett, Dominic Rogers cromartie 
you know, Antonio Smith, he found good players. I think his more his problem was more finding a, a quality coach outside of Ken Wisenhunt and then finding that quarterback of the future. Uh, mm-hmm. Steve Keim has kind of done the opposite. He hit a home run with his first coach, hit a home run with his pick with, with Carson Palmer, had a, a really savvy begin to his tenure um, between 2013 and 2015, was the back-to-back Pro Football Talk GM of the Year in 2013-2014. It's mm-hmm. like he was almost playing with house money. Since then, I don't know if it was the Bruce Aarons in his ear talking about going all in, we want to win a Super Bowl, don't worry about um, you know, building for the future, and then just a series of bad evaluations, bad draft picks, um, and then you know the Steve Wilkes one and done. I think I think the majority of this fan base looks at the talent level on Sunday and knows that a lot of these guys, specifically on the offensive line, have no business playing or have no business starting. There are there are very few glimmers of hope on either line of scrimmage right now, outside of maybe a Zach Allen. And, and the mm. fans are savvy to that. I mean, they follow the team. You, access to information has never been more information has never been more accessible for a fan. And they know that the, the, the right tackle situation is unacceptable. And DJ Humphreys has been a disappointment. Justin Pugh's making, you know, ten plus million dollars, and he looks like an average to below average player. And so it's a combination of all of those things. Um, and then I think the cherry on top is the fact that he was allowed really to keep his job after the extreme DUI. Yeah, um, and then it followed with probably his worst professional year of his career, with with going three and thirteen, having the first overall pick, having a one and done coach, and then taking a quarterback in two in two first round in two consecutive drafts. So, um, I think he had a little bit of momentum after the draft. I, I, I think it's safe to say that's probably gone now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, in my opinion, I, uh, you know, I've never been really on the record whether or not I think they should fire him or not. I think that. You know, you can reevaluate that at the end of this year. I probably would have leaned on keeping him after last year and giving him that mulligan. But here's what I will say is that for people who are hoping he's going to be fired soon, Michael Bidwell and he are very close, and they yep. went all in with Kingsbury and, and, and Kyler Murray. Those were his guys. So you're going to ask a new GM to come in and it, who and inherit a college coach and who's m- married to Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray has options outside of football. I would do everything I can to keep that relationship stable. And I would sit down with Steve Kime if I'm Michael Bidwell and say, hey, you built a championship roster before, contending roster before. What worked well? What did you do at the time? And how do we get this offensive line fixed? And I would just have a, a series of honest conversations. And hopefully he's able to do that. I, I think that his draft this year has a chance to be a special group. I think you, you and I both feel that way. But I, I think that this season – just the amount of criticism he's going to take is justified because of the fact that he's missed on so many evaluations, specifically on the offensive and defensive line. Those will go down, especially the offensive line, as his biggest failure if the team opts to move on, Blake. Yes, I would agree with uh, with all of that for the most part. I do think that it's going to be fascinating to find out what happens with the team because I don't know what the internal expectations were as far as is this a spot where Bidwell and Kime are just doing everything together and it's close and so then hey if I mess up you mess up or is it going to be a case where eventually there is going to be a certain wall that you do hit and I bring this up because some of the big news that we had um Today, and we'll also touch on the biggest thing we haven't talked about in the Cardinals game was they did release Michael Crabtree, at least the wide receiver. He had probably caught about four passes for the team. He ended up getting his entire, uh, I believe it was like $1.5 million guaranteed. Essentially, they said it broke down to almost $250,000 per catch. He was signed by the team. Uh, The idea behind it was, hey, we think that this is a spot where we're not going to be just a team that lies down and waits. We're going to want to compete this year. So that's why we're signing this veteran wide receiver. You end up with about $3.2 million in dead cap, which is more than Mike Glenn had. You know, you end up paying him a lot. It just did not work out as a fine deal to make for everything. And what's crazy now is you take a look at the team as it's constructed and you've got now $38 million in dead money this year for 2019. 
And on your IR cap, at least, now that you've had uh, some of the signings that they had, now maybe you'll get one of those guys back for the most part in Robert Alford. Maybe Max Garcia, who's been still on the pop list, will come off. But you've got another $13 million or so that's just on your IR. And a lot of those guys were people who were like either kind of draft picks like Brandon Williams um, or they were traded for like Marcus Gilbert or signed like Robert Alford. So you're talking about in the – entirety of the Cardinals you got about 50 million dollars or so that you have that's not being spent or used at all on your team that is rough now obviously the biggest portion of that is with moving on from Josh Rosen but it's difficult because when you compare that to me he's like okay that one year shouldn't sink you you clearly made a bunch of mistakes I think what a lot of people are wondering though is if this is a problem where it's personnel and it's talent and you look at stacking poor moves on top of other poor moves to the point where you're like, hey, the Cardinals right now, they've got a hole at right tackle. Well, Marcus Gilbert, he is the guy who's supposed to fill that. He went out tore his ACL. You traded a sixth-round pick for him. You're having issues at cornerback with coverage. Well, Robert Alford was that guy. He had come off of an injury the year before. He's about... I think he's almost 30, if not 30, as a corner. Then you end up seeing that there's... So I think that's kind of where a lot of fans, I believe, are frustrated is because there's enough faults that you see that eventually it does stack up to where you just have to end up questioning overall of the you know, the identity of the team and the direction. Because if this is a team that's a young, rebuilding team that is wanting to get young guys involved, then you're not going to be signing Michael Crabtree to a contract if you're hoping you'll be, hey, let's play Andy Isabella and see what happens with that. Now, maybe you're not able to play that because he doesn't live up to expectation, but it's just curious because I know a lot of people are just looking at it, and I just don't know if I see as much of the direction. And the hardest part for me, John, is you look at what the Cardinals did versus the Panthers at the end of that game and on Sunday – Currently, they've given up 16 sacks overall on the year. Eight of those came against the Panthers. You had eight sacks that were there. Now, I I had to go back and chart a little bit of this, so here's kind of where I accredited some of the blame. I put there's the one sack that went on Twitter where Jordan, I believe it's Jordan Mills, just completely whiffs. Uh, He clearly did not look in shape at all. He looked like he got winded by the end. I don't know if he's overweight per se, but he did not look well conditioned. That's part of why I think they rotated him in and out with Justin Murray. Justin Pugh did get backed right into Kyler Murray, where Kyler tried to step up and run away, tripped over his own lineman. Pugh just got walked backward as a pure strength that just was uh, a bit overwhelmed. And I counted a a kind of a combination of some. So there's at least two sacks that I would put on DJ Humphreys, which he's the guy who right now is supposed to be your best lineman. But there's also kind of an area of There's some plays that Kyler was accountable for where he dropped his eyes and started to run. Uh, There's a few plays in particular where if Humphreys had kind of come back and had gotten his guy or had pushed him upfield a little bit more and kept his hands on him, Kyler's got open grass in front of him and he wasn't able to get away. Um, There's other ones where he was going back to extend the play and Humphreys, the guy kind of beat him and Humphreys was having to run back to catch up. But some of that also was on Kyler then moved backwards and went out of the pocket. So a little bit shaky as far as for being able to assign pure blame. I would say that I'd probably say, okay, if there's two to four on Kyler and somewhere between two to three potentially on Humphreys, there's a mix between the two. Some of that does make sense because you're having to work in a rookie quarterback who's mobile, who can extend plays, and is having to then learn. But on the other hand, it's just really rough to be able to watch DJ Humphreys with the Cardinals when you're looking at the right tackle. Honestly, John, like outside of the one sack, I feel like the right tackles over there played better overall. And maybe if Jordan Mills can get in shape better, you might not have the same type of problems, at least as far as pressure. But it was concerning to me to be able to see that because, you know, as we've wondered about this with DJ Humphreys, if the Cardinals go into next offseason, and they're in a place where they're like, okay, gosh, we'll have to either pay a tackle a ton of money or we'll have to try to keep DJ Humphreys. I just worry that this is going to turn into a spot where Steve Kime is going to be tempted and make the same mistakes that his predecessor made, that they'll try to keep DJ Humphreys at left tackle. They'll kind of be complacent and settled. They won't want to spend the huge dollars. And I just get kind of worried that this turns into a situation where the Cardinals, they've never been able to truly invest in their line as far as outside of the the two big signings one of them you got lucky because the Raiders decided to not you know they decided not to franchise tag Jared Valdir you signed Mike Yupati he'd had injury concerns it probably wasn't a long-term thing even though they did sign him I just worry and I think I share the sentiment of a lot of Cardinals fans is they just worry if Steve Keim is able to be the one to build this line so as we kind of wrap up our first podcast for the week John let's let's pass it on to you do you think that Steve Keim right now is able to build up this Cardinals line for Kyle and Murray because if this this is a lot of where people I think right now are most skeptical I don't know if he can do it, Blake, because he hasn't proven he can. Um, 
I, I do think he's going to, if he's allowed to keep his job, I think he's going to feel heat from the organization, from Michael Bidwell, from Cliff Kingsbury to, to do something drastic. Um, and I would be concerned I, like so. you are. I'd really hope so because um, it, they did, we hoped that that would be the case last off season and we didn't see it. Now they, they don't have a choice. You, you had a great tweet on this. You can talk to us about your tweet that you had on it as far as the clean slate, because I thought that summed it up really, really well. Well, yeah, two things. So yeah, I can start with that. So I, you know, we look at the cap over the cap.com, you know, pretty frequently to, to assess needs and, uh, you know, guys under contract past this year. And essentially the, the Cardinals don't have viable options at either tackle position under contract next year. Gilbert was a one-off. He will never play a, a down for the team. And then DJ Humphreys, you would assume right now, isn't in the plans to, to be brought back. Although I've heard rumblings that if he were to have some strides made, that there'd be, you know, interest on both parties to do a short deal. But right now, especially after Sunday, you wouldn't think that that's anywhere close. So they don't have any tackles on the roster next year. And I'm not including, you know, the seventh rounder that they like or somebody like Justin Murray. Then the interior, you can move on from Justin Pugh pretty seamlessly. He's got a $10.5 million cap hit. Um, I would think that they would move off of him, absolutely. And then at right guard, they signed J.R. Sweezy, who's probably been their most consistent player. I would think that they bring him back. Uh, he's only making, I think, $5 million next year. He's been consistent, was really strong in the first two games, didn't play particularly well this game. Uh, A.Q. Shipley, 33 years old, he's a free agent, you assume. He won't be back. Then you have Mason Cole, who I think we're going to see at some point soon, and he's going to be on the team next year. So really, you're, you're looking at A.Q. You're looking at Mason Cole and you're, you're looking at uh, J.R. Sweezy, presumably. You can either look at that as a complete and utter rebuild. There's no talent and there's nothing to work off of. Or, in my opinion, I look at it as a clean slate that they hopefully will make some solid investments via the draft um, because I think young players can come in and play well on the offensive line. Um, but here, here's what I was thinking about, Blake. In, in regards to the offensive line, and you know it's my biggest point of contention with this franchise. We've been doing this podcast for you know, how, however many years, Blake, and I just, I get frustrated because I think that we see the same thing happen every season, last year especially, um, and then we we separate ourselves from the season. We get away from it. We watch the postseason. We get into draft season, and it's like the offensive line and their struggles, it, just in my perspective, watching others talk about the team, it's like they, they don't exist, right? The Cardinals were one of the worst pass-blocking, run-blocking teams in NFL history last year. They were dead last in both. They looked awful up front. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the team, you mentioned it, outside of trading a six-round pick for you know an injury-prone, a suspension-prone, aging Marcus Gilbert. And if you, you don't think the Steelers can evaluate offensive line play, then you've got another thing um, in mind. <laughs> yeah, they let him go for a sixth. And I was they, like, just, oh, they were going to cut, they they were, gonna cut gonna him. Cut him. Yep. Um, and so that was the Cardinals' big move. And you you. Think to yourself, how many mock drafts did we do, Blake? And we just said continually, well, pick 33 is going to be reserved for a defensive, or excuse me, an offensive lineman. You would assume, or the Rosen pick, which we assume would be a first or a second, they're going to go offensive line there. And they didn't, never did. They didn't take an offensive lineman until late on yeah. day three. I think, they, I think they wanted to, but things just didn't line up was part of it. But it's also an aspect of... But how many of, years have we been yeah, saying that, too? Right, and, I mean, and, that's, and that's some of it where you back yourself sometimes into a corner because you're not able to identify depth. Then when you're looking for those type of high picks and high players, then you end up counting on a guy like a Marcus Gilbert. When he goes down, you're like, well, shoot, looks like we're going to find out whoever else on other teams cast off that gets cut. And then trying to find... You know, like the guys that they signed where the Browns were in need of tackle help and they signed a guy who was cut by the Browns the Dolphins at least traded away one of their tackles and they cut Jordan Mills it's where you're in a spot where you put yourself in a hole you try to put a band-aid on there and that's where I think a lot of fans are upset about is because you've you've not been able to address the wounds for too long I just feel like we romanticize other positions because they're sexier and they grab headlines I think the Cleveland Browns did that. They traded away a Pro Bowl guard and Kevin Zeitler. They're not the same offensive unit because of it. But they, you know, they trade for Odell Beckham and you get, you know, a lot of these skill players and they're the fancy new toy and we love corn we need a number two corner with Patrick Peterson. No, your your team has been in the toilet for how many years up front? You can't do anything offensively. You've got a young rookie quarterback for the second consecutive season. And you could argue, even with some of these guys you're counting on healthy, I mean, the Cardinals have been fortunate in a lot of areas because they're not injured yet outside of Gilbert, that they're worse on the offensive line. Now, yeah. I know that has a lot it's... to do with the amount of attempts that they're taking, 
But Murray also has the opportunity to elude a lot of these pressures, especially in the first two weeks. I just think that, Blake, in in my opinion, we as a fan base, the front office, everybody is guilty of it. The further away we get we get away from this the the season and the ugliness up front, the more that they think they can fix it with either band-aid free agents or players in-house. When in reality, the Cardinals need to go into the draft next se- uh, next next April with their uh, presumably their top ten pick and take hopefully uh, somebody like Andrew Thomas if he's available. And I don't want to get into draft in September because I know people <laughs> want to come and, and strangle me. But that's what it's going to take. You need to do, you need to go and take multiple high offensive linemen with your picks. And people are going to be saying, "What about wide receiver? And what about defense?" And, you can't fix everything. You can't yeah. do it. But what you but you what, what you can't have the biggest thing is the biggest reason I was so upset with that Byron Murphy pick is because yes, they needed corners. They do more than ever now. But if Kyler Murray doesn't work out because of offensive line, it doesn't matter if they have ten Pro Bowl corners in their secondary. The offensive line, because we all think Murray's legit and we think Kingsbury's legit as a play caller, the offensive line could, is the only other thing that could single-handedly derail this entire operation and for you to have to start over. And now they're on pace to give up 80-plus sacks. And, and it just I don't know what they can do in terms of in-season help. I, don't, I, I, I would make a move with Mason Cole subbing in for either A.Q. Shipley or Justin Pugh. I don't think they have the stones to do that yet. And then well, I would... well, I'll be really, really curious to see as far as what happens with that, especially if, if it's an injury that happens, you've got no control over it for that. If it is a case of subbing in a different player, then, well, that's a, that's going to be a really huge, interesting indictment. That's, uh, because the, the Cardinals did that. Made, yeah, it is also a sign of that's what we started to see last year was we started to see, hey, you know, they released the uh, the corner, I believe, was Jamar Taylor released by the team at least. Then you started to see Ben Ibn Wickery was let go, Andre Smith let go. So I think that you're right. If the season continues on that trajectory, then I think that you're going to start to have questions. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more, I think, about that on our next podcast or later this week for the most part. Uh, in the meantime, Thank you again, guys, uh, for joining us. I uh, appreciate your time for that one. Um, John, as we wrap up this uh, kind of first edition, where can the listeners be able to find you and your work? Yeah, I am at Johnny Touchdown on Twitter. And then, of course, I am a contributor outside of this podcast on RevengeOfTheBirds.com. I try to recap every game on Sunday. Uh, Blake, where can they find your content? Yeah, it's also there in Revenge of the Birds and at Blake Murphy 7 as well for Twitter. Uh, for our next episode, we'll talk a little bit more about just with where we see with the Cardinals, a bit more about with what we have with Steve Kime, how they can go about fixing potentially some of these problems this year, and we'll preview the Seahawks game, a showdown with the Seahawks. Will the Cardinals be able to finally overcome their uh, long time they've been uh, without having a home win against the Seahawks? Could they land their first win of the season against them and finally kind of be able to get a home win for the fans or is this going to be kind of a 0-3-1 start to the season we'll have that for you guys at least later this week thanks again for tuning in